Today's gospel comes from Matthew chapter 4. Now when Jesus heard that John, John the Baptist, had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he walked by the sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news, of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the gospel, the good news of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Repent and follow. These are the first words that Jesus speaks in Matthew's gospel. We're we're already in chapter 4. And Jesus is speaking his first words to us in this gospel because leaders have to listen, as Isabel said. Jesus spends the first three chapters following John the Baptist around. He is a disciple of John. He's trying to learn how to be a leader in this new thing. And when he finally gets the microphone, the things he offers to us are to repent and to follow. And I know sometimes being a follower of Jesus feels very complicated. So I like that those beginning words are helpful to us, repent and follow. As we said, leaders are learners. Readers are leaders. One of my favorite books, it's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People that says, seek first to understand and then to be understood. And so I think it's worthwhile to note that Jesus spends the first part of his ministry, learning, spending time in study, spending time in prayer before he gets out there. And then he does something awfully interesting. You see, he doesn't go to fill the void that John left. See, John is now in prison and there are disciples of John everywhere who are looking for the next big thing, the next person to follow. And Jesus, cautious of what it means to be that kind of leader, goes and settles on the far end of the sea in a town called Capernaum. This isn't a particularly nice town. It's not a well-known town. It's not even a town that really shows up on a lot of people's radars. But Jesus settles here because he knows that those he's ready to call are often marginalized. He starts here on purpose so that the people at the bottom of the pyramid can feel like they are seen 
and, and known and that they, they are called. For me in my life, it's really always important to remember how humble Jesus was. That no matter how much of a leader we conceive of Jesus as, a, as an orator, as a speaker, as a leader of people, as the leader of a movement, it starts with a humbleness and a willingness to go where other people aren't willing to. So Jesus ends up on the side of the lake and he calls a couple of fishermen who are in the boat with their dad. I love this story. I've actually taught this story many times. Um, one of the things that I've done is help lead a father-son retreat. And we've, we talk often about how does it feel to be the dad in the boat when your sons get up and leave? And often when we do this, the, you know, the dads are in their 30s, generally, and the children are five or six. Or, and the idea that the children are leaving home sounds a little enticing to that dad, right? He's like, he's like, yeah, that might not be too bad. The missus and I, you know, we get to go on trips and eat whatever we want, you know. Uh, but then it starts to set in that these children are going to leave. Raising kids is awful sometimes when you think about, like, I'm just raising you up to break up with me slowly over years. I mean, the goal at the end of this thing is you telling me that I'll never understand what it's like to be a teenager and me telling you that I've been there and then you telling me that it was different back then. Like that conversation is ahead of us. And I say this right now as my son is watching on the live stream because I told him he had to on his way to driver's ed, and I'm like, I just can't anymore. I don't know how I got old enough to have a child who's in driver's ed. The idea that he's going to be on the road is terrifying. The idea, all of it. Like, uh, it's a tough spot to be Zebedee and to sit here and watch your boys walk out of the family business. But one of the things that we know, actually scientifically, neurologically, biologically, we know that we are hardwired to reformat our brain in those late teen, early 20 years. In fact, for men who, you know, let's be honest, we're late bloomers, men don't stop rewiring their brain until they stop growing sometimes around 25, at least growing vertically, you know, we... It's the most natural thing in the world to leave your dad in the boat. It's the most natural thing in the world. In fact, your brain is rewiring itself to convince you to leave the nest. Otherwise, you might not never leave. You got somebody who cooks, somebody who does my laundry. You might not leave if your brain doesn't force you to rewire, to make your own, make your life your own, to become an adult, Right? to go out into the world. And here's, what, here's one of the things I've been reflecting on, you know, the, that young adult period this week. Here's one of the funniest things to me now. When I was in college living in a dorm, I thought I was living an adult life. <laughs> didn't you? Somebody say amen. Yeah, you did, didn't you? You're like, I'm living on my own now. Of course, there's a dining hall right? There's somebody to do my laundry, you know, when I come home on the weekends. 
All I literally have to do is go to class for 15 hours, and it feels like a lot to me, right? It's all paid for. I've never even thought about health insurance, right? But in those moments, you're like, I'm an adult. This is easy. What have they been complaining about all these years? This is fun, right? And life leads you that way. Life life tells you that you are an adventurer and that you're supposed to go out and create your own thing. We, we We have all of this time. Our world is full of time. So if we want to go backpack around Europe, there's time for that. If we want to go, uh, you know, go get a job uh, that we're going to have crazy stories about later, there's time for that. You know? uh, I spent a summer working construction, and uh, my, uh, my paycheck said unskilled labor, right? But I made $9 an hour, and I thought it was the most money I had ever seen in my life, because it was. See, when you're in the adventure phase, there's time for all of that. And then way leads on to way, you end up with one of these. And by the time you're 32, the average person has already experienced over 80% of life's most memorable moments. By the time you're 32, historically, the, the moments that shaped you have already happened. Now, I know that number is getting pushed back, especially this one about homeownership, right? Because income has risen 27%, but housing prices have risen 200%. <laughs> so there's still a lot of people searching for this one. But we all kind of get to a spot where we're like, is this it for me now? Is this who I am? Is this, is this everything my life is going to be? I mean, because there was a time when all of the jobs made sense for me. There was a time when I was going to do all of it and everything, and then you get to that place and you're like, oh, no, yeah, I show up on Monday and then I leave on Friday and then I show up on Monday again. Or in my case, you know, the weeks just bleed into the next one. There's no Monday through Friday. I was in Italy on sabbatical this summer with my best friend, Stephen. We've been best friends since 10th grade. We know each other very well, and we ended up having this conversation. What would life be like if we had never gotten married? And he and I just decided to become roommates and just have dual income and no kids. Anybody else ever had this thought? You can give me a little hand, little hand up, just a little one, just a little hands up. Yeah. You know, we decided we would have the greatest sound system that the world had ever seen. We would have a projector in every room. We would have that thing hooked up to have a killer sound system everywhere you went. There'd be no art on the walls because who needs that? But there would definitely be a tiki bar and there would be a weight room and we would both have six packs. (laughs) Sounded really great for an afternoon until we got to dinner that night. We both FaceTimed our families. And you realize it's not nearly as interesting what you said no to in life compared to what you said yes to. It's just not nearly as interesting to spend all the time wondering about everything you could have done 
compared to those you love and those who love you. Life is not what you give up. It's what you're called to do. So now I imagine Zebedee sitting there in the boat going, well, what am I going to do now? These ungrateful children, they just ran away and left me in this daggum boat. Don't they know that this boat paid for that college that they went to? Don't they know that I had a plan for them to live out this life? And I bet you there was a moment in Zebedee's life when he's talking to somebody and he says, I don't know, my children are running around like hippies following this Jesus guy. And I bet you there's a moment where Jesus and the disciples are walking back through town. Zebedee sees his sons laying hands on people and healing them. And he has that moment and he says, that's my son. That's my son. It's really terrifying to be the dad in the boat. It's a lot more fun to think about how the world is your oyster. It's a little bit terrifying to think that oyster is going to chew up my child and spit them back out. These words from Jesus, these first words that he spent four chapters ruminating about, I think, really get to the core of everything that we need to tell our children. Listen, it's not going to be always perfect, but you can always do two things, and Jesus will help you along the way. Repent sometimes means that I've done something bad and that I need to correct, but it also just means to turn around. Repent sometimes just means look in another direction. Look for something that you might have missed. And follow. Following Jesus is as much a joy as it is a calling. I got a buddy named Don. He's actually right there. And uh, Don's a, a, a therapist. Uh, clinical psychologist. Words matter. He's a clinical psychologist, and in his email signature, it says, create a life worth celebrating. Did I say that right? That's correct. Create a life worth celebrating. I think that's pretty good. Because ultimately, repent and follow says every time you get knocked down, get back up. And ultimately, what Jesus wants for us, whether we're still in the boat or whether we're off on an adventure, is to say yes to the life that we've curated. Let us always remember that we are loved and cherished no matter what. And let us always be followers of a Jesus who says, no matter where you go, I am with you. Life's not always going to be easy for us. It's certainly not easy as a parent. (laughs) But I do know this. The humbleness of Jesus has with it a quiet strength. And when we tap into that strength, we can do anything. Amen.